things. Do you hear that? That's on my yeah. end. We actually, okay. we actually have an ice cream truck that comes through my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, when did that start? You have an ice cream man all summer and now? <laughs> 70 degrees outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 70 degrees is still ice cream truck weather in my neighborhood. Um, so that might pop up again while we're doing this. So that'll be fun. All right. So I'm going to stop for like 10 seconds to make some space. And then hopefully the ice cream man will be gone. <laughs> and then we'll get started. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> Now somebody's buying somebody ice cream. Somebody asked for ice cream, motherfuckers. Y'all heard him like 75% of the time. Okay, whatever. Rosie had started. <laughs> Welcome back to Romance Ever After, the podcast where we talk about romantic comedies exclusively with members of Romancelandia. I'm Allie Parker, your host, and today I'm excited to talk to Perdita Henry. Perdita is a writer by day and a writer by night and inspiring documentary filmmaker. She used to love canceling plans, but since being in the house for the past eight months, she can't wait to make some. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Perdita Patrice. Welcome, Perdita. Thank you. It's so cute how you say my name. <laughs> Nobody says my name like that, but I know it's pronounced like that. And so it's right. So I'm like, it's fine when people do it, but it's so rare that anybody pronounces it that way. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to ask you if you prefer Perdita or Perdita or, <laughs> or like how yeah. Perdita is usually yeah usually uh people say perdita and uh, it's fine but i i'm fine with either pronunciation because they're actually right yeah. most of the time people just say something i'm like that's not my name so <laughs> let's go ahead and do that uh, but yeah thank you for having me i'm so excited to have you i always see you on twitter and you're funny and you have like great insights to things so i'm really excited to talk to you today about romantic comedies um let's talk about though specifically for you let's talk about your personal love story with romantic comedies how did that start oh well um i kind of feel like they've always been there um, I remember being like watching Sleepless in Seattle and stuff when I was a kid and not really understanding what was going on. But of course, the idea of romance and being swept away and all of that kind of stuff. You get there really early when you're a girl, especially. So, um, you know, always watching those kinds of films was uh, they were just kind of a staple. And then, of course, coming up in like the early aughts when there were constant teen dramas and yeah. movies um, that specifically focused on the rom-com for teenagers. Mm -hmm. So like she's all that and can't hardly wait. And then of course you got OG films like um, Love and Basketball mm -hmm. and and those kinds of those kinds of course like how Stella got her groove back mm -hmm. and waiting not necessarily romantic comedies but definitely within the search for romance mm -hmm. um so yeah they've always been 
uh, a part of my movie life and then being obsessed with like romance novels too. (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely say like late 90s, early aughts, there was slightly more respect for the female viewer um, in when it came to movies. And so they weren't afraid to you know, have things that focus heavily on romance. And that was like, that I I don't, don't think they respected how much of a major driver it was to the box office, but, you know, for, for a really good period of time, like that drove a lot of your weekend box office stuff. That's what propped up all those Merchant Ivory films, you know? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but now they think it's gotta be superhero flicks all the time. And don't get me wrong. I love my Marvel films. I love my D- mm, okay, DC is, it, it has its moments, but. <laughs> <laughs> But we love romantic movies and we especially love rom-coms and I'm so happy that at least with streamers we're starting to see this resurgence of the rom-com. With that in mind, just like romance novels, romantic comedies are really driven by tropes. Uh, What kind of tropes do you like? And just to like really fuck with you, um, does it matter? Does it matter if it's books or film? or if you're writing it or just like consuming it yourself? I love, um, I love a renovation. Like, give me a renovation story mm-hmm. of a lady that bought a house and <laughs> is gonna make that house into something. Um, it's one of the reasons why I constantly go back to Under the Tuscan Sun, but I love it if there's like a dilapidated house mm-hmm. and this lady finds love in it. Because it's always like she's not just fixing the house, she's also fixing herself. And like, here's this guy who's helping her fix it too. <laughs> yeah, it is. And she's capable and she's doing what she needs to do. And she's uncovering things in the house and she's uncovering herself at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. Um, and then I really love like hate to love relationships, mm-hmm. um, but not like disrespectful hate but just the the banter and the sexual tension that's there yeah just get going (laughs) (laughs) so it's those kinds of things um I don't know why I kind of like like baby stuff too Mm -hmm. like not necessarily secret baby but like if they find a baby (laughs) and they end up like taking care of it yeah like that's a that's one that gets me just like, <laughs> let's take care of this baby together. It's, it's ridiculous, but still. Yeah. Yeah. I, so those are, yeah. Typically like with those, um, when like, they're just like forced to have a kid, um, it's, it's, they're both on equal footing of sucking at raising the kid <laughs> and like they, they're, they basically, they're raising themselves and the kid at the same time, as well as growing into a family, which is always really sweet. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned like renovation being like really important to you because, you know, especially that whole revelatory process of the woman finding herself in the house um, that kind of folds into the movie that we're talking today about a woman who's finding herself. Uh, today, we're talking about 2019's Juanita. Uh, a little bit of background about that movie. It's based on a book, which I did not write down the title. So now I have to pull out my phone because I'm actually reading it <laughs> so I can look it up. Uh, Dancing, Dancing at the Edge of the Roof. Yeah, that's it. Something Dancing like at that. the Edge of the Roof. That's what it's called. Um, and it's Basically, it's about a woman who's 
older. Um, the book, she's in her 40s, but for this movie, it's Alfre Woodard, so we're talking like 50s. Um, at least I feel like they're targeting her age at like being around her 50, late 50s, early 60s. Uh, mm-hmm. And she has this whole life that she's desperate to basically run away from. Um, she just kind of gets a sense she needs to leave. Uh, so interesting thing about this, this she, her husband actually adapted the screenplay, which I, I didn't realize that Alfred Woodard's husband was a screenwriter, but okay, it's kind of shocked me a little. He's white too. Yeah, he's white too. I, I was, gonna say, I was like, that either. I was rewatching it and I was like, mm, how do I feel about a white man writing some of this stuff? Like, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so she produced it as well. So I'm just going to assume that, yes, he wrote it, but, like, he wrote the bulk of it, and she sat there over his shoulder telling him yes or no on things. I can only assume. (laughs) They have, like, five kids together. So clearly this has been a marriage for a while, and Mm -hmm. and he's learned a thing or two. But I'm I'm just going to assume that it was actually, like, a co-writing experience. He just got the credit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's marriage. That's what that's what happens in marriages, right? Um, so let's actually let's get to recapping the story. So Juanita um, is basically like I would say she's like a hospital tech um, at a hospital in Columbus, Ohio, um, which is kind of funny because they definitely did not film this movie in Columbus, uh, any parts of it, um, and it's very obvious uh, if you look at any of it which only slightly great for me because I lived in Columbus for four years go Bucks um so uh she she's working she works at a hospital she lives her life um she has three kids all all of them are grown two of them live with her she's got the daughter who has a kid already and she's basically desperate her daughter just like doesn't care she uses her as like on-demand child care she goes out she basically doesn't have a life she doesn't have a job she just has a bad week oh my god that week is so bad it's awful but but you have to admit still better than most tyler perry wigs <laughs> yes <laughs> it was it was like halle berry bad um like Halle Berry's wigs in her movies mm-hmm. are a bit higher than what Birdie was wearing in this this film, yeah. but they're still not as bad Tyler as Perry. Tyler Perry. And that's how bad that box of wigs that he keeps is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so Birdie, her daughter, is trifling and just uses her all the time. Then we have her son, her, her middle son, or her baby son, or is her middle son? That's the, the the baby. Okay, he he gotta be the baby the way he acts. Mm-hmm. He he he's awful. Um, she says this thing about he's dumb. He's he's smart enough to have money all the time, but dumb enough to something or another. I don't know. Point is, she's trying to make is he is low on the top totem pole drug dealer, and she doesn't like that about his life. Um, but he's always got money but he's also living up in her house and just, you know, mm-hmm. again, using her for care and, you know, keeping a roof over his head and paying his bills, but he's always got money. 
which makes no sense that he's not helping out around the house. So this is how we see her life. And she seems to have like a very rich fantasy life. She's got, she's got all these fantasies about her and Blair Underwood. (laughs) If you don't imagine a man, then why not Blair Underwood? Very true. Very true. Cause she, she, and she keeps them in tidy whiteies too all the time <laughs> <laughs> that must have been interesting discussion with her husband is all I'm trying to say yeah yeah because in the book um she has a rich fantasy life which actually happens to coincide with her reading actual books um she oh so okay. she reads so she starts out um she gets into reading because she uh the so in the movie you see she has a patient that she's really close to and you know they talk and they drink and they relate about life in the book she has that same relationship with that patient but the patient passes away and uh her family gives her basically a stack of her romance novels that she that they're not going to read they're just like donated to the hospital or whatever Juanita takes all these books and she starts getting sucked in by the stories by the fantasy of it all and so technically Juanita is a romance reader and I would have preferred that myself yes they I mean they still could have done Blair Underwood but bringing that romance reader aspect to it definitely enriches the story Mm -hmm. in a way I think that we get it um we don't get the the kind of fantasy life that that she could have had with Blair Underwood as the the hero in each of different fantasy vignettes. But yeah. I guess if it's um an independent film, then budgets to consider and such. Yeah. Um so yeah, so there's so there's that. So and the book aspect is kind of like a big part of it because the books are what opening the books reading the books opens the world to her and mm-hmm. in opening the world to her she realizes how limited her life is and she that's mm-hmm. that's her catalyst for leaving in the movie it doesn't you don't really see a catalyst per se you just see she's decided she's fed up with her life and she needs to go she well i think they moved the catalyst into doc into mrs uh mrs berman yeah the dancer the patient that dies yeah. when she dies because there is a moment where she says she's been to Europe several times yeah. and then um she like packs up the, the marijuana and stuff because her patient is doing medicinal marijuana mm-hmm. um, and then when she passes there's that little shoe that we see earlier that she picks up off the floor and I felt like they kind of moved that as to be the the the, the, the catalyst. okay okay her. okay that makes sense so like her dying is what triggers her to realize you know there's this woman who's lived all her life and all that's left behind of her is this little shoe what do I ha- I guess what do I have to live yeah. for what what will I leave behind three trifling children, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, well, two, mm-hmm. because her middle son is in jail and he's in jail for some bullshit reasons, which we find out later. Um, yeah. and, but we'll, we'll get there. So she has her three kids. She realizes she needs to live a bigger life. Um, she, you know, goes and talks to her sister and her sister seems to be really the only person who cares about her directly. Is that in the book? Is it her it's her sister in the book it's her bestie in the movie because oh. it's Tanya jackson um 
Latanya Richardson Jackson. Okay. Jackson. She's Samuel Jackson's wife. Oh. Um, but she plays the hairdresser in the movie that is her best okay, friend. Okay, so, okay, so sorry. I'm blurring things in my mind. Okay, so in the movie, it's her best friend. And she seems to be the only person who cares about her. Um, you know, she's told her she needs to get those kids up out of her house, that she ba- that she spoils them all the time. Um, and she makes this reference to her panic attacks, yes. which I thought was, it's, it's really small. Um, it comes mm-hmm. to play out later on, but it's re- it's a really small thing. And it's one of those things that, you know, especially with Black women and Black people in general, when we talk about things that are like mental health related, we don't actually label it the things that they are. And so them actually labeling it yeah. a panic attack is like, it's big in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they have that conversation, because at this point, when we get to inter- when we get introduced to her best friend, um, she literally walks into the salon with her suitcase mm-hmm. and her purse and her friend goes out, they go out in the back and they have a, a cigarette and talk. Um, but at this point, we've already been introduced to her, the magical realism that kind of takes place in the film mm-hmm. with to her fantasy life with Blair Underwood um and you kind of realize that the Blair Underwood character isn't really like trying to take care of her either Mm -hmm. even in her fantasy life she can't get that so when she goes to talk to um to her bestie and that mention of her her anxiety it's just like you okay this is somebody who knows her Mm -hmm. and who for her in a way that nobody else does because nobody else is asking hey how you doing Mm -hmm. it's always well how your kids doing Mm -hmm. or you know what's what's birdie up to or you you still got them kids in your house and so on and so forth um but because I have anxiety yeah and so watching watching that that interaction however brief it was was just nice to to see somebody finally be like well how you doing and also what about your anxiety when you go yeah and it's also it's also good because of class issues like you know she's she's a low-income worker she even says as much she's been working at that hospital for nine years and all she's ever been paid is 12.50 an hour like that's it you know having anxiety as a low-income worker it's not something that you're necessarily afforded and clearly she's Mm -hmm. had to work her whole entire life and just push through it and so it's not something that she factors into how she's going to live her life moving on if she's Mm -hmm. breaking out of this mold um you know it's not something that she's been allowed to care about but she has this friend who cares about it for her which which is really which is really a sweet moment to let you know that this relationship is important to her um so she just and she really does kind of just like brush it off too like uh whatever don't don't worry about that and you know she goes on her about her life and she gets to the bus station and I will say that that bus station does look like the bus depot in Columbus because it is just as raggedy and sketchy but all bus stations are raggedy and sketchy indeed <laughs> like just for for no reason it's just like nobody comes here and they're neglected Mm -hmm. 
And I guess that's a good kind of metaphor for what uh, what at its heart that Juanita is going through is just the neglect that comes with being a Black woman mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah. Um, so she uh, so she goes there. She's trying to figure out where to go. And she just looks over the map and she decides she's going to go to Butt, Montana. the person at the counter politely corrects her and says it's butte um and Mm -hmm. she she's like okay let's do this let's let's take an adventure it's the furthest place i can think of on this map let's Mm -hmm. go there and you know she gets on the bus and it they get to a point where she realizes they're about to go up into the mountains and she starts to freak out. Uh, she mm-hmm. goes into, she like, she's like crying basically at the bus driver that, you know, I can't do this. And the bus driver is like, you know, it'll be okay. You'll get over it. Like just dismissing her in her extreme mm-hmm. panic. And she goes into the bathroom and she tries to get herself like a good pep talk. And, yeah. you know, she's like, don't listen to that bitch. You can do this. You can do this. And that's mm-hmm. the first time we get a glimpse of Peaches, who will be a friend of hers later on. She comes out of the mm-hmm. bathroom and said, I, I think she's right. You shouldn't listen to her. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I like Peaches. Yeah. Peaches <laughs> is very genuine and Peaches is going to be who Peaches is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. And so after that little pep talk, Juanita gets back on the bus and she does it um and then that's when we get another one of her fantasy episodes and that's when like you it's it start I think it starts to trigger in realization that she doesn't just have these fantasy dreams um but like the fantasies in real life that she has are part of her coping mechanism when she's like mm-hmm. having these panic attacks because you know they're on the bus in the night in the mountains and we know she's already freaked out about it and she just like has this like full-on dance break <laughs> on yeah. the bus to Juanita and it's like there's no catalyst that you can see all you know is she comes out the bathroom and she looks kind of scared and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. we're dancing in the aisle yeah that was I when I first the first time I watched the film I was like what the fuck <laughs> and then watching it I was like oh okay this is this is really cute because she's really just soothing herself Mm -hmm. Uh, by the time she gets back to her seat and kind of like snaps back into reality um she's like what the hell was that but she's also managed to stop a panic attack Mm -hmm. so um then we go from there uh she she get they they get off the bus and she's dropped basically at this diner this shabby diner in the mountains where there is no hide no hair of person of color within 50 feet of her and she gets into this diner where you know classic stranger walks in and everybody stares at you situation you know, she's like, but she's going to be Juanita. She's going to, she came here to have an adventure, be it Montana. She's going to have her adventure. And, you know, if she sits down and she does not feel like the most welcomed person um, in the world, 
But as she, as she sits down and she's about to order, guess who comes out of the back but Peaches? And she's like, well, yeah. look at that. You managed to make it here. And they introduce themselves to each other. And, you know, they proceed to have a meal. Um, Peaches and the waitress, though, they seem to have a little bit of a history, in my opinion. I, okay, so I, when I was watching it again this morning, just to... I was like, okay, so there's some sexual tension. Yes. So the thing about Peaches is that she is, she's a fat white lesbian truck driver and Mm -hmm. she is very comfortable with who she is as a person. And, but she also knows that driving in the fucking mountains of Montana, not everybody's appreciative or understanding of who she is as a woman. And the waitress who comes over to take her order seems to have a very specific attitude about peaches. But it's not mm-hmm. like, hey, I don't know if this was on purpose or this was just the decision that the waitress decided to play. But it doesn't look like outright hate or disrespect. It looks like yeah. we've got a pass and I don't like you for a reason, kind of. The yeah. way she approaches it. So it just, it looks like the waitress has a personal problem with peaches. And like, mm-hmm. maybe they had a one night stand or two. And now the waitress is like over peaches' present. Because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it goes, because uh, it, their interactions are interlaced through the whole scene. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it goes on for a long time um, when you're watching it. But yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> It's it's a, a I guess a good way too to kind of get expose with Peaches and Juanita there at the table together. Mm-hmm. So I like getting to know Peaches a little bit more in that scene. Yeah, because um, yeah, because Peaches you know gives her backstory, her whole life, and Juanita is able to talk about you know what she's looking to do next with her life and why she's even out there. Because even Peaches knows is weird as fuck that Juanita is out there. Um, and Peaches offers Juanita a ride to uh, her next destination. Juanita takes her up on it and they ride through the night and they just kind of talk about each other's lives, all the choices that they make. And Juanita eventually ends up feeling comfort and like friendship with Peaches. Um, and Peaches drops her off in Paper Moon at the diner where we'll spend the bulk of the movie at and, you know, says, hey, um, if I come through town every once in a while. Here's my number. Give me a call. If you need a ride anywhere else, I'm more than willing to give you a ride. I'm more than willing to give you a lift. And, you know, just kind of sets her off on her path. And also while letting her know that don't stay at the motel because yeah. <laughs> the owner, he's a peeper, stay at the boarding house, which is, I mean, I keep, I keep seeing like a lot of people's like, scary creepy stories about like roadside motels online Mm -hmm. now like people talking about like how uh there was this one story I saw where this guy was like we were in the middle of a blizzard and I stopped at uh I stopped at a convenience store late at night and I wanted to you know stay at the motel and I was talking to the guy about it and he's like you've got kids in there he's like don't stay there keep going in the middle of the night in a blizzard you're safer driving than staying at that motel yeah so apparently it's not it's an it's a real life issue roadside motels are creeper creepy be careful where you stay 
why I hate driving, <laughs> especially long distance driving. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, so she goes into the little diner called Shea Paper Moon. Uh, and there's just three little white guys sitting at the bar and nobody else in there. And she grabs a table and she says, Hey, I just want some eggs and bacon and some hash browns. And they're like, there's no substitutions on the menu. Yeah. It's very much, um, French cuisine Mm -hmm. and French cuisine. Yeah. It's like eggs, Benedict's or poached eggs with hollandaise for breakfast. These are your only choices. She's like, mm-hmm. I just want a fried egg and <laughs> some hash browns, orange juice, and some toast. Some toast. And I'm like, it's and, pretty simple. Yeah, it's very simple. And like the poor little waitress, she's like, I, I can't do it. And her mom, who we later find out is her mom, comes out and she starts talking. And she's like, you know, one he's like, can I talk to the chef and talk to him about it? And she's like, oh, by all means, please go ahead, see what happens. And out comes the chef. Uh, and his name is Jess. He's a very attractive man, of course. Um, and she's like, uh, I want, I just want some fried eggs and bacon and toast. And he's like, I don't do that. I can give you this. And there's like a sh- the exchange, like the, the heat, the fires there. The banter because she's not willing to let it go and he's not willing to let it go. So he finally just tells her, well, you know what? I got an apron. And I was just like, now see, you should have got cussed out. <laughs> well, like, well, here's, Why I need here's the thing though. Like everybody seems to have her back though too. Cause even like the old cusses at the bar are like, you know, regular breakfast wouldn't be such a bad thing. <laughs> I love too about what she does next is like she just kind of is like well you gonna pay me mm-hmm. yeah and he's like fine I'll I'll take you on for a trial basis for a week and she's like week make that two, two weeks and mm-hmm. sure okay he's mm-hmm. like all right fine and so she goes and she decides all right I'm doing this because I mean of course she needs to find a job um she's here she doesn't know for how long but she's yeah. she she needs some money um, to keep her life going and so she she takes advantage of it and you know she's like she's thinking for a second she's like well do you have biscuits she's like asking what they have like do you have biscuits do you have this or that she's like we have the ingredients that's it he doesn't make any of that stuff she's like okay whatever I'm gonna make do because she has a very can-do attitude about things like this is what life throws at me I'm not afraid to like go for it so yeah. She starts cooking breakfast, and of course, people like it. And yeah. um, the rest, well, we don't get to that point just yet. So, after the first breakfast, well, things are going good. She's like having her smoke outside, and Jess comes to check on her. And like now, she's kind of freaked out because she's outside, she's in the mountains, it uneases her. And Jess yeah. is kind of like delighted by what she's done so far and he just Mm -hmm. wants to have like a nice little conversation with her and she can't meet his eyes she's looking everywhere but at him because she is close to being outside and that Mm -hmm. freaks her out and she doesn't want to have a panic attack and he is he's like who is this odd duck um Mm -hmm. uh, but you know he kind of sees her discomfort and he offers her a ride to the boarding house 
and she's yeah. like she's gonna refuse it but he basically demands she like gets her ass in his car <laughs> and he's gonna yeah. drive her to the boarding house um and so we go from there we have her coming in every day every morning to help him cook breakfast um, mm-hmm. And we see that that starts to help the restaurant turn around a little because while he makes good food, nobody wants his fancy dancy breakfast all the damn time. Um, oh. <laughs> and so he needs people. So the regular breakfast is starting to bring people in earlier, earlier. And then, you know, people are sticking around for the other meals of the day and mm-hmm things are turning around and with Juanita to help him, you know, he kind of sees like the good side of things, but he's also imparting on her the way he does things and getting her to try those things. And she finds she actually kind of likes it too. Yeah. I mean, there's cute moments and stuff where they're in the kitchen together and he, he's trying to teach her how to poach an egg and he is like, and then you stir it and then you lift it out of the water and he said, and it's supposed to look like, and she said, white girl's titty. <laughs> 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 and he's like, he's like, he kind of laughs it off, but he, he carries it on. He's like, yeah. And then you take the white girl titty and you put it on the bed of salad. <laughs> so, that, I mean, they, they're building this rapport as things go on. And then you also kind of get the, you start to notice that we haven't seen Blair Underwood again mm-hmm. just yet. I've seen him since she got um, to Paper Moon and that she's settling in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we we know she's still nervous about being outdoors and everything like that. But it's it's nice to be able to see her to kind of like, loosen her grip a little bit Mm -hmm. um because she is so wound so tight when it comes to trying to figure out how to save herself but also trying to let go of the fact that she's left her two kids there at her house and then one kid is still in jail um so yeah it's nice to be able to see her kind of have something just for herself yeah and just to be yeah and where she's not she's not necessarily caring for other people she's focused on herself and then we so we get to the point where um she gets there one morning and Jess isn't there and his sister and his niece Mignon come in and they're like no, um, Jess isn't going to be here today. It's E-Day. And she's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and mm-hmm. apparently, and like, you know, it's just this well-understood thing for everybody in town that this is the one day a year that just gets rip-roaring drunk and just stay the fuck out of his way and let him, let him go about his business. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, she gets this look on her face like, I should leave it alone. I should leave it alone. And then she's like, where does he live? Uh-huh. <laughs> and she, she, despite her fear of the outdoors, trudges her way to his dilapidated, pro- condemned property. Um, like the house is boarded up. Like it is straight trash. And she's like, he lives here. Like she just gets that look. Like she's freaked out because she's outdoors. Like she's hanging on to everything. And she's freaked out because this house looks 
like it's going to give her tetanus just by looking at it. Um, Mm -hmm. And she wanders around until she finds at the back of the property, she sees a trailer um, that actually looks nice and looked in. So she goes over there and that's where she finds soused out of his mind, Jess, who's just like all sad and contemplative and drunk (laughs) and has a big old wound on his hand. Yeah, men and their feelings. Yeah, it's he's he's deep in the midst of this this rager and everything. So when she actually goes up to him and he's still acting out a little mm-hmm. bit, but then kind of gets himself together once he realizes like she means business. I did like that. Yeah, <laughs> and you know she helps to tend his wound, and they kind of talk a little bit about well. Um, not really so much talk a little bit more like he just kind of like whines and moans about things <laughs> and she just sort of listens and it's like you need to get your shit together <laughs> and come into town and you know take care of your business you can't be doing this crap and you know he does get himself together and but we see like this moment where she sees him as kind of the vulnerable creature that he is um mm-hmm. and she's like there's more to him than just being a total ass to people about his fancy french food um embossing her around um and so it's kind of it's a leveler for them in ways um at least from yeah. on her side of things so after that um we you know see them work together a little bit more and then there's there's clearly friendship there um and then we go to a powwow um that they're having um and i i'm guessing i'm assuming i think mignon is getting married and i don't know no not in the movie it just seemed like it was just a powwow that they scheduled to go to and he was insistent that um Juanita goes with them to help feed everybody okay so yeah so when they get there yeah uh, it's a whole like it's a whole big thing um like it's whole communities there and the only reason why I thought I thought I didn't think it was like an actual marriage I thought there was like a blessing of the guy Charlie who I'm guessing is Mignon's like boyfriend or fiance or something and that's I don't know. I, I might just be interpreting shit or just writing crap in my head at this point. Um, <laughs> hey, me and am I. Anyway, so we go to the powwow and the powwow is really nice and it's really community. It's very community oriented and everybody's together and Juanita starts to freak the fuck out. Um, yeah. It's a little too open, a little too outdoors mm-hmm. for Miss Juanita. And I, I also think though, I think because she starts freaking out when one of um of like a blessing ceremony is happening and i think like that also overwhelmed her a little bit too because it's i mean it's about community focusing on taking care of each other like in that moment mm-hmm. and i think she's felt she has family who doesn't really respect mm-hmm. her and but she has one friend who does care about her but i don't think she's ever had that sense of community and people taking care of her at least that's not not the sense that I got got from this movie and it seems like in that moment she's outdoors and all this shit is happening and it's getting to her and you know she's probably a little homesick too um and she's they and just sees her and immediately goes to her and like Mm -hmm. kind of moves her away to someplace that's isolated so that she can calm down 
Yeah, when he takes her into the teepee um, and there are elders there mm-hmm. and they, they make sure that she's, they get her some water and they have her sit down and let her catch her breath. And then he, one of the elders asks, can I pray for you? And they say a prayer and they just let her be and find her bearings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, when somebody has not had someone take care or people really care for them, but they've always been the caretaker when you're on the um, receiving end of care being given that it, it's a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but ultimately she like she's in a state to where she can't really resist it Mm -hmm. so it's just it's a nice moment that leads into what we see next which is when she finally emerges from the teepee um and it's night and they're doing the chant Mm -hmm. and um and dancing and she goes and stands there and watches Mm -hmm. and then Jess comes back up to her and chants over it (laughs) yeah 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 no yeah she uh and he's there and he's in her face and she is not she's not moved she's just like very sucked into the moment yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but it's it, it it but it makes it very clear that Jess cares about her and he wants yeah. to take help take care of her, which is at mm-hmm. this point something it doesn't seem like she's had at all, especially from mm-hmm. a man in her life. Um, she, yeah. I mean, earlier on she talks about her ex husbands um, mm-hmm. and moving on from them, and but this is like the first time it seems like somebody's like actually caring for her because like like she's like you said even Blair Underwood ain't caring for her in her dreams. Like, how fucked up is that? Your fantasy man is screwing you over, too. Because, I mean, Blair Underwood, and if we can talk a a little bit specifically about his vignettes and stuff is um, altogether great, but he's he's funny because he's playing a version of himself, um, and he's, like, just there to be sexy, Mm -hmm. but even in her fantasy life, she can't imagine a man that is going to take care of her she imagines him of like being like hey can I borrow like forty (laughs) dollars to do this thing with Spike Lee and then there's another where he asks her for some he's he wants to do a commercial for some lotion (laughs) like (laughs) there in a wig and everything she's got on her red hair and everything and he's like pitching this lotion to the and he and he's like hey can I get some more money for me and she's just like Blair she there's literally a quote in one of these where she says um oh what did she tell him oh even in she said the only man I got just tried to ask just tried to get money for me and he ain't even real Yeah, so so with all that in mind, like we go to the powwow where Jess has taken care of her during one of her panic attacks. You know, he is openly, openly admiring her um, in the middle of uh, the ceremonial dance he's doing. And um, and, you know, so she she's like she's transfixed in this moment. Uh, and then the next morning, Jess wakes up, surprisingly alone, in the bed of his truck. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And he, the first, but like the first word was out of his mouth after saying hello to his sister is, where's Juanita? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're like, I thought she was with you. He's like, no, she wasn't. <laughs> and she's like, well, she wandered off into the woods. Um, and, you know, he finds her and she is, she's having a freak out, but it's not at the level of like some of her other freak outs. It seems like, you know, she realizes she's just sad and she's homesick and she misses her, she misses her good for nothing kids. You mean, you know, she gave birth to them. So she cares about them. Um, and yeah. she misses her son who's in jail and, you know, she kind of misses her life. This is, it, she made a big jump. Yeah. On, you know, just a big, basically a whim. I mean, you know, yeah. she packed up and moved out of her own life in like a week and it's yeah. just finally hitting her she is she is not in Kansas anymore uh you know mm -hmm. just sits and he talks with her and he makes her feel better and they walk back together to the campsite arm in arm laughing and joking and when they get back everybody's just standing there looking at them like Ooh, what's going on yeah. here <laughs> But one of the things during that conversation before they go back mm -hmm. and everyone's very like, oh, y'all are flirting and y'all together and everything um, is during that conversation, he tells her, um, you made my life better. You helped me save my business and, you know, you've helped me do all of these things and, and, and access these things in, in myself. And I was just kind of like, it, it was a, I understood where he's coming from, but it was just one of those examples of when men can see you mostly for what you've done for them mm -hmm. rather than, you know, really what I wish he would have said to her in that moment was you literally packed up your stuff and decided to let your kids, decided to take the training wheels off for your kids and let them go ahead and try to make a go of their lives as hard as that is to do mm -hmm. for you and that you went ahead and took yourself off to save yourself from the possibility of a life that yeah unfulfilled have been disappointing. Yeah. yeah to you yeah no you're right um and I mean that happens a lot especially especially in romantic comedies a lot of times people it's define the women in terms of how the men experience them and that happened but that happens a lot more I've noticed when men write the scripts when women write the scripts mm. it tends to be less about um tends to be less about what happened to them through the men male's perspective um, and it gives, it focuses more on the women's agency and how their world has actually turned. And it's, it's yeah. funny that this comes up in a movie that is about a woman taking, taking, um, full advantage of her life, you know, within her means, but she is taking advantage of her life. Um, and mm -hmm again a male writer so he thinks that that's what's most important and not like focusing on the yeah. fact that she's badass because she got on a bus to go explore a place she's never lived or had even conceptually thought about before and I mean yeah he could like also throw into the fact that you know you've helped me and you helped my business but it really should start with her um 
and her wants yeah. and her desires and her needs but that be men um <laughs> but anyways so they get back to the campsite and Juanita's like really back into the full of full flow of things and she's cooking and she's chatting with people and you know everybody's laughing and carrying on and they start to break down the campsite and uh Jess is gonna drive them back to mm-hmm. Paper Moon but you know in the front seat of the car Jess has his hand up on the back seat of on the back of the um <laughs> the it's car so seat corny. it's so corny he's like oh my shoulder's bothering me I need something to rest it on do you and support it do you mind sitting up underneath it <laughs> he's so terribly corny but also I was like I know you're gonna move under that arm Juanita but I too would move <laughs> under that arm despite that corniness because right. just he's yeah. so cute he's so cute the way he says it. I mean, so I mean he's hot. he's handsome he's hot but <laughs> he's so cute when he says it like I I'm I'm just I'm being honest and genuine and I'm not trying to make a move on you <laughs> like she isn't a woman <laughs> over over two years old <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like she she yeah. knows exactly what the fuck you're doing but you know she likes you too she just don't want to admit it um <laughs> and so she sits underneath she sits underneath his arm and rides back that way to paper moon and then smash cut to the next scene where they are fucking fucking they are they are going for it. this is the sex that i want in all the movies like give us <laughs> the heat and give us the heat and they gave it to yes. us first off it's two characters that are not white mm-hmm. neither of which are white neither one and they're having actual penetrative sex it, with each other and it's other. not missionary no she is writing the fuck out of him <laughs> and, the, and I was just like okay and they're both, first and they're off, both over 40 like yes it, people of a certain age still have sex. and they're hot doing it yeah. yeah it's and it goes on for a little while and it's not like there there's obsessive like focus on body parts and stuff no, it's it's very much like a real life looking sexy mm-hmm. so I was super appreciative of and that. also they like both start complaining about like bar- body parts hurting <laughs> <laughs> Which, yes, when you reach a certain age, all that acrobatic shit does not hit the same when you're Amen. done. <laughs> Lord, yes. So it was, I, I think that is one place where they definitely hit it out the park. Yes. We got two leads who are into each other, who actually have sex that looks like sex mm-hmm. and not weird shit that we <laughs> usually have to, to sit up under when it comes to sex scenes in films yeah um so yeah and then you know uh so they go to bed and Jess wakes up with a night terror um and Juanita is trying to console him and he says out loud you know that he wished he could have a drink and she's like well you go right ahead and have that and I'm gonna get my ass up out of here He's like, no, don't leave. And I just say it because it's good for me. I find that it helps. And she's like, that's bullshit and you know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. they have, uh, you know, he doesn't have a drink and they have, they 
you know, kind of put clothes on and they have like a conversation about where they both are in life and how things are and their own respective walls that they have built up around them and what they do with their lives, what they've done with their lives. And, you know, he talks a little bit about his career and I guess the, I think it was the army um, and how he lost a friend and she talks a little bit more about her, her kids and her life. And, you know, it's still that same, like kind of bantery bickering, um, you know, because he basically that he transfers either in bed or in arguing. Um, but they seem to like come to like kind of an understanding of each other um, at the end of that scene. And then the next thing we well, one of the things in that scene that I noticed too is that there's been kind of talk and I feel like they let it go once she gets to Paper Moon for a little mm -hmm. while, but her original plan was to go to Butte, but she wasn't going to stay there. Mm -hmm. She was continuing to go further west. So when she's in Paper Moon and they have that conversation after they've had sex is she mentions again that like I still am going to go to what she has decided is California. Yeah, because she wants to see um, the ocean. She's never seen the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That conversation where she's kind of like reminding him, like this is nice, but I still have goals. Mm -hmm. I, I I I live for that. And he, but the thing is, he never knocks her down. He never says you're not going to do <laughs> that. He says, "Well, you go ahead and do that, but this will always still be here for you." And when you get back. And she doesn't contradict, she uh -huh. doesn't contradict him on that. Like, she's like, she, I, I think she's acknowledged that, yes, she is going to go back. Um, she does like her life there, yep. but she still wants to go and do and see things. Uh, and then the next scene, we actually see her standing in nature and not freaking out. Mm -hmm. But she's wrapped in the um, shawl the that they gave her when they, when they blessed her and prayed over her at the powwow. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so she's just like standing in nature in that shawl, serene and calm, no panic attacks. And mm -hmm. next thing she knows, here comes her son who was in jail to surprise her. And Randy. Randy. And mm -hmm. she is so happy and overjoyed that her boy is there and just excited to see him. Can we talk a little bit about Randy when he appears? Because we see him before, but he's sitting in jail. He's sitting at like one of the, the desks, mm -hmm. like talking on through the glass partition. But when he walks up to her, I'm like, Randy is big. That's a big old man. That is a grown man. Lord. <laughs> he is a big Ooh. guy. Um, what he's so he's in this ridiculous tv show um on true tv about firefighters actually that's like that's where i mostly know him from besides this movie um marcus henderson that's the actor's name and he's big old fine thing too <laughs> he's in tacoma fd that's the name of the show it's so <laughs> stupid um it, 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 it's so it's so it's like by the guys who did um super troopers mm. um I it's it's is it like a satire thing no too? it's just dumb comedy <laughs> like, oh okay okay it's, like, it's dumb okay <laughs> it's satire it, it's an art this is just funny okay. for the sake of being dumb <laughs> okay. i mean it's okay. it's it's 
smarter than like say like dumb and dumber but it's still dumb <laughs> yeah. that's probably why i haven't heard probably wow i yeah i probably checked out in that genre but <laughs> no when he walks up and i sounds like oh you you big old man mm-hmm. big old, them big old thighs and big old shoulders and big old arms and okay Uh (laughs) (laughs) it it turns out that jess um actually gave him the he got out early on parole and it turns out that Mm -hmm. jess actually gave him the money so that he could get on the bus and come out there and surprise her and you know even coordinated with the town deputy to like pick him up from the bus station and everything and that I think is like kind of shows like a nice caring moment that Jess uh because he knows that she misses her kids she misses her babies and she he enabled something to happen um but Wedding is not happy about the fact that he paid. Ew. She's like, how dare you? How dare you sit up and do all of this behind my back? <laughs> and she she go, they they argue about it for entirely so loud and long that they wake him up. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, Randy, when he what when he when he pops up and is like could y'all just yell at each other and get it over with because people in jail are loud and I can go to sleep but y'all whispering and I can't go to sleep and then when they have that scene where we see because he's sleeping outside the trailer Mm -hmm. on like a a lounge chair or something like that and we see him standing out there in his boxer shorts and and I was just like big old fire look at (laughs) Just big for no reason. Who? Yeah. <laughs> Just like the thighs. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that you would like to hear, see the story of Randy in Paper Moon after. <laughs> Ain't no other black people in Paper Moon because she said when the popu- the black you know, population she, oh, boy, when got to town. <laughs> But I was just appreciative of Randy and all his big findings <laughs> in Paper Moon. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so Randy's there and Randy is actually going to stay in Paper Moon and he's going to learn to cook. Uh, and Jess teaches him how to cook and like run the fry, run the fry station, like sort of the same way that he was teaching Juanita less sexual tension, I obviously. But <laughs> 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 but you know <laughs> yeah but still he like he's he's doing well and he he's hasn't quite gotten the hang of it you know but randy yeah he's trying to his hand at white girl titty yes uh, <laughs> it's, it's like not well. going well but he is trying he is trying so hard him and those shoulders are trying so hard yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know juanita is determined you know she is still going to go see the ocean and next thing we know here comes peaches peaches rig and peaches is back in town to give Juanita lift to the west coast uh and you know everybody peaches is obviously shocked because there's actually people in the restaurant (laughs) who'd have thunk people would have gone to a restaurant if you served them food they actually wanted to eat right I mean crazy Huh. crazy because it, it is packed huh. 
for a town for a restaurant mm-hmm. is in town in the middle of nowhere it is wall-to-wall people um and you know Juanita says her goodbyes to everybody and hugs and kisses and then she and Peaches they take off and the next scene we get is what I miss what I miss you're skipping you're skipping one of the best parts. So, like, Peaches come in and order her food and everything, but um, Juanita is still uh, at the house, at the boarding house, um, and she's on the phone with her best friend. Oh, yeah, that's and right. Her, we find out that Bertie, her daughter, got a job and just got promoted to assistant manager at the Kroger or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She got, because that's right, because she was like, Bertie needs to get a job at Kroger or Big Bear. Um, and Birdie did get a job at Kroger and, and like within a month, Birdie is been promoted to assistant manager. So Birdie can do some shit. Birdie's capable. And kind of, yeah, Birdie is taking care of her child. She is going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, her youngest son has actually gotten released out of jail early because, um, I guess he got parole, but also he got community service and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's this still up in the air as to what he's gonna do mm-hmm. but um also we get that time where she talks a little bit more about going on with the next leg of her trip yeah. with her bestie um and Juanita looks happy and settled and and satisfied so when they end that call and then Jess comes to pick her up mm-hmm. and he they get back to well first there's those long looks and stuff before (laughs) so that he he got her in the truck and everything and they all looking at each other and stuff and then he he reaches in and he kisses her and stuff and then he goes and gets in the truck and then um they get back to shade paper moon Mm -hmm. he tells her to close her eyes before they get there that's right he pulls up and then walks her over in front of the sign and then tells her to open his open her eyes and he changed the name from Shay Paper Moon to J and J. No, Shay J and J. Meaning Shay, Jess, and Juanita. So she has something to come back to because they are there for her. And he so basically he's letting her know that he he has shot all the shots. <laughs> You yeah. better come home. <laughs> come back home. Uh, so that was that was so cute because I felt like it did exactly what you said. It gave her an understanding of like who she is in his life. Mm-hmm. But it also, because I think that could have played manipulative or pre- too presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get a feeling of like this was a way to try to control her. Yeah, It was I'm really proud of what we have done here. And um, and more importantly, yeah. that you are a part of this. Like when yeah. you, even though you're not here, you are a part of this. You helped make this what this is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you are going to go on and do the things that you need to do. But this thing that you helped change, this business, me, this place, it is still here mm-hmm. and you are a part of it. And I want to recognize your contributions to what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was sweet. He was so sad when her and Peaches pulled away and stuff, but I was like, 
I just don't see there's, I don't see there being a point in which where she does not return. She's got business to handle and things she needs to do for herself, but she knows you're here. Yeah. And so the movie ends with Juanita walking on the beach in California and here comes Blair Underwood. <laughs> Can we talk about how good Blair Underwood looked in white? I mean, wait, Alfred wait. looks good in white too, but Blair... He whoo. does look amazing, but white, white is made for people whose skin is darker than mm-hmm. the most. Them two look so pretty. Walking walk on the beach, strolling, just, and she just, she's like, I don't need you. I'm good. And, you know, she's just happy and filled and knowing that she has a place in the world and she can do the things that she needs to do. So that's that movie. Um, Okay, so let's get into what do you like? What don't you like? What would you change and how would you change it? So I don't, I do love this film because I think ultimately what it does and what I like in a lot of rom-coms is the hope aspect Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And it's one of the reasons why I return back to rom-coms and romance novels is because I want to be left to feel like there's hope for romantic um, love and intimacy with a partner and that kind of thing because so often we are fed narratives where there is just not the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's so, so funny you bring that up considering what we all bitched about yesterday online. And you know and so I <laughs> saw that and I wasn't paying attention to that conversation because I was much more enthralled with like Chris Evans situation <laughs> um, because that Instagram live that came up yesterday I was like let me get my life real quick and they gave it to me <gasps> yeah. um, so when I watched I when I woke up first thing this morning I actually came across a thread that was talking about the happily ever after and all of it and so I'm still not the context to all of that discussion is is still not I don't know all of it but I was asking myself I was like okay well do I think Juanita is a romantic comedy yeah and I was just like oh I'm gonna have to answer that question (laughs) but let me go back to what I like about it is the whole part of it is a big thing for me. Um, I like seeing Black women do something that is out of the ordinary um, for how people tend to think about Black women. Um, So getting to watch a Black woman, especially one of a certain age, get to do something unusual, because usually when people decide to blow up their lives or abandon their lives or Mm -hmm. something like that, they're white women within the ages of like 30 to 40 or something mm-hmm. like that um and we've seen this this kind of trope happen before in romantic comedies with um under the tuscan sun um eat pray love which i hated i hate that i still thing. haven't seen it i on on the basis of i just never wanted to see it <laughs> I saw it in theaters because I think I needed to just get away and that was, it was playing. And so I saw it and I was just like, I hate this lady. <laughs> she's so, 
she's so no like but, nothing about it. yeah you're right it's typically women who are white and they have much more money they blow up their lives mm-hmm. and they can afford to do it and it's this is blowing your life up on a budget <laughs> yes and a very very meager budget at that yeah. uh, so to watch her get on a bus and people don't get on buses in movies no anymore. they don't so to watch her get on the bus and do that was a a, a big thing for me and so I think they did that well um I don't think that they did like there were certain points in the movie where it gets a little slow um I kind of feel like Jess wasn't fleshed out as much as he he could have been to make that a, a firmer connection yeah yeah they I feel like they try and do too much in these small moments and then they Mm -hmm. they montage away unnecessarily a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that they should be fleshing out um Mm -hmm. like you know like again I I don't know why we're going to the powwow like, is it, is this like a regularly scheduled powwow or is there some other shit going on? Like, is this a special one? Um, well, all we just know is that we're going and Juanita has to go to serve food. Um, they montage away, like them improving the business together. You know, we, we see a couple of cooking lessons on the fancy French food and we see the restaurant fill up. We don't see them arguing about the menu. We don't see them working to like change things around. We, we just, we kind of fast forward through a lot of that unnecessarily for giving more real estate to watching her stumble around in the woods. Like I, yeah. I don't see why we needed like five minutes of her stumbling to Jess's house versus we could have had like maybe two minutes more of like actual dialogue about the restaurant. Where they they don't hit the mark is just the quiet intimacy in relationship building mm-hmm. that would have made the sex more satisfying, I think, for the viewer once we get to that that's that scene um and and it's you don't montage the opportunity to have witty banter between characters mm-hmm. and to build actual tension in that the banter mm-hmm. um, and we don't get that with this so when she pulls away to leave to go to california and everything it's not even like we're kind of yearning for her to when she comes back and that that um reuniting um because we didn't get to spend that much time with them in the intimate moments of their life yeah i feel i feel like we spent more time in the intimate moments of her yelling at her kids about their lives um then we did, and we, we definitely spent way too much time with Blair um, and her fantasies. I mean, but we, we needed more of that, seeing them work together and more of that arguing because they argue well together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. that, you know, that, that, that thin tension uh, between them, it's there, um, you know, that, it, that that light switch it's it's hanging on the balance between flipping it from passion to hate you know like it goes easy uh-huh. um and they do it so well and so I could, I just could have used a little bit more of that I could have used a little bit more growing into each other I, I wanted mm-hmm. to watch them spar a little bit more 
I mean, cause mm-hmm. I mean, they spar after they've had sex. So it's not like the spark goes, but I, oh, I want to work up to that a little bit more. Yeah. And then to go back to your point about Blair Underwood, while I enjoy Blair Underwood and I thought his comedic timing in this film was awesome um, because he had some moments where you're just like, are you Negro? Are you serious? (laughs) Um, So to see that, but it was a lot um, of him with no real purpose um, other than, okay, I feel like the dance scene definitely just shows you, um, you know, how she staves off the the panic attack mm-hmm. from coming with bus. But those scenes with Blair Underwood, and then the fact that we that she breaks the fourth wall for such a long time in Act One. By the time we get to Act Two, she's not doing that. She's not really talking to us anymore mm-hmm. as the audience. Yeah, um, and I thought that was a curious choice as to why would you have her start telling us all of this, but then stop talking to us? And I thought maybe that's just to signify that, you know, she's feeling more settled in herself and she has more of an active outer life. I mean, I, I, I would hope that was the choice they were making, but I don't think that's what happened. I think that they just got tired of like that first person stuff because the I mean, as far as I've gotten in the book so far, it is a very, it's all very, it's first person written. I don't know if that flips anywhere further on and I'll probably find out and later say something to you about it. But as it is right now, everything's very first person. So I would, I would hope that you would continue that through. But what I am more than willing to bet is that they just got lazy. They got tired of writing it that way. And me, if there was any other like breaking the fourth wall, in the in the movie it just got cut out because this movie is tight it's only for it's only an hour and 40 minutes long they they so they kept it to around like some fairly standard rom-com lengths there like no more than like 100 minutes is pushing it for rom-com um and which is weird because they unnecessarily space out so much shit if if they had like cut some of that quiet and gave us more of her breaking the fourth wall, like that mm-hmm. would have helped. Like when she was stumbling to Jess's house, if she was talking and bitching about the whole scenario, that would have worked for me so well. Um, and it would have helped to move the move things along. But I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, it, there were things like that, that I just felt like, well, that that was a choice mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I guess but uh I think with the the fantasy parts with Blair Underwood um I think we probably could have seen more of her relationship with her best friend mm-hmm. uh, and less a little bit less of her kids um that would have helped because I really don't understand the purpose of to show us so much of her youngest son um, who was in the film a bit more, I would say, than her oldest son, who ends up, you know, in Paper Moon with her. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw way more of him and the daughter than I think was necessary to really to see. And that would have been valuable real estate to explore a little bit more of the friendship. Yeah, like when the when she called because she calls her best friend like midway through the movie, and the son is there harassing the best friend 
and Juanita happens to call when he's there and he rips the phone away from the friend at just as she's getting ready to start to talk to Juanita and I get that they want to make it want to showcase like how anxious the kids are for her to come back or especially that son but I would have I felt like we would have gotten so much more if she would have just been able to have the whole conversation with her friend about where her life mm -hmm. is right now and because we've lost her breaking the fourth wall we would actually get more of what's going through her head at that point yeah because once she stops breaking the fourth wall we don't know what's going on with her internally and at this point mm -hmm. we've known all about what's inside of her and when we get mm -hmm. to montana we're shut off from that completely and I think that's to the detriment of the movie. Yeah. And I mean, Alfred does a wonderful job because she is that lady. <laughs> uh, there's not really anything that she can be in that I'm not going to watch. Mm -hmm. um, and so to see her in this situation was, was different from a lot of what the other um, roles that she has chosen in the past. But ultimately it's still one that I'll pop on and and sit through or have going on in the background well you know what though it does remind me I mean maybe like the class level is a little bit different but it kind of reminds me of a movie there's like there's two movies that I really that I used to watch by her all the time um Brooklyn? No, not Crooklyn. I mean, I we, we all watch Crooklyn all the time. <laughs> like, no, it's so there's one movie. Okay, so My Funny Valentine, which was um, written and directed by Ju uh, Julie Dash. Um, and that's, I mean, it's not blow up your life levels, but it she does leave her life to go back home. Mm -hmm. Now, Holiday Heart is the other one that I watch all the time. Yes, but she she plays crackhead so well in that. That was a really great movie. Um, but down on the Delta, I mean, she's in love. Down on the Delta. That's that's the movie I'm thinking about. Um, so okay, she's a so she's a drug addict, and her mm -hmm. her mother forces her to take her and her kids to um her family her uncle's house and i think it's like in mississippi somewhere and so mm -hmm. that to like she'll straighten out straighten out her life straighten out with drugs and you know just her like living her whole life down there and like so she gets to be a better mother and she meets wesley snipes and they have a little bit of really does she have a relationship with wesley snipes i think it's who she ends up having a relationship with um and yeah so it's kind of like that same scenario where like transporting her out of this urban environment to like a more rural environment scenario and same with funny valentine except funny valentine is very it's very quiet like it's very much a family drama i think this movie has the pacing of those and not that of a romantic comedy and yeah. i i think that's that's very much of the a good portion of her oeuvre um it's kind of like more of those quieter dramas and so they try to give this movie like that kind of feel I, unnecessarily though I think yeah I, I would have liked her to be able to have some more fun mm -hmm. um and, and to be able to have like some carefree moments um with him 
Yeah, I every romantic comedy, like, please have them bang earlier and more often. Let's watch it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to say that like the creeper at the motel, but... <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> the like, of the movie. <laughs> yeah, as an audience, please give us more boning with these people that are supposed to be falling in love with each other. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to watch whatever she's in. Um, and this was no exception. Mm -hmm. And while it's definitely not the best in her very long history, um, of a career, uh, it's definitely one I can rock with Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling, I just need something easy. Yeah. It's a very nice, easy movie. The stakes are very low. I think like the, the angstiest point of it is when Jess is drunk off his ass. Like that, that's Mm -hmm. as angsty as it gets. And, you know, like even when like he tries to pull that bullshit of that, oh, I need a drink after they've had sex, you know, she shuts that shit down pretty quickly. And um, I think it goes a long way. The reassurance that she's going to come back goes to that. Now, with that in mind, you said you were thinking about like, is this really a rom-com? Like, how do you feel about it now that you've been thinking about it? So I would say that it is not <laughs> a rom-com. Um, there is not, and especially if I'm understanding what some of the conversation was surrounding the latest dust up um, on Twitter, is that the happily ever after is key to romance. Um, and so because she leaves to go to um, California Mm -hmm. to finish her commitment to herself. I feel like it's still, we're still left with the very real understanding that she is going to return to Paper Moon. Mm -hmm. Um, But considering all of the other stuff that happens in the movie and the pacing and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's really a rom-com. So the way, so the way I see it, um, this is this all falls on how this movie was cut uh because Mm -hmm. they chose because like you said because they chose to end it with her on the beach by herself happy in that moment we don't see any hint or notion of Jess this this movie really is we're meant to think and see this movie as being about um her her uh her journey and yes there is a very strong romantic subplot to this um and it's it and it's it is like it it's a central portion of this story could we get away from this movie like could we get away with having this movie without the romance with her and Jess in it no I I mean I don't think we would have I don't think we would have the whole movie um it would be it would be a shitty movie (laughs) um but uh could could you could technically remove it but I don't think we could get away with having a movie without the romantic subplot of this movie um Mm -hmm. but I think it is funny enough that it is a comedy and I think it focuses on her development more which is why it's not as much a romantic comedy um 
Yeah. I mean, it's got a very strong romance in it. And that's all I can say. Um, more than some movies that like to characterize themselves as romantic comedies. I think, I think if, in my opinion, I will never ever say Crazy Rich Asians is a romantic comedy. I don't think I can call this movie a romantic comedy. Really? Oh yeah, that's another story for another day, but <laughs> <laughs> I will die on that hill. I think, oh, I think it's okay. a great movie. I think it's hilarious. I don't think it's a romantic comedy. There's not a lot of romance and there's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of trouble. Hey, that wedding scene is, I would, that, I would just watch that all day long. I don't even like weddings like that. Like, I don't fuck or rock with weddings like that. I think, why are you spending all this money on something and you're probably not going to last? But <laughs> even if you do last, like, you could use that money on a house. Yeah, like, you um, don't need to spend all that money on one fucking day of your life. Thank you. <laughs> but a bitch decided to walk on water in a <laughs> church? Like, you a bad bitch for the rest of your fucking life. I, I, I respect you. And then the choice of song and the, it, I was like, I can't even, I can't even fucking hate you right I, now for spending all the money. I bought the DVD just because of that wedding scene. But anyways, we're talking about one week. <laughs> so like, okay, like I said, if I can't call Crazy Rich Asians a romantic comedy, I can't, I can't call this movie a romantic comedy. No matter how strong that romance portion of the plot is I can't I can't really call it that um and like I said their choice to end it with Juanita walking by herself on the beach is very indicative of what they what they're saying this movie is about it it's called Mm -hmm. Juanita for a reason (laughs) and this movie is about about her so yeah and I appreciate it and I liked and I honestly like the fact that she didn't just stay in paper moon Mm -hmm. and that it was just like, oh, we're going to run the diner together. And then she just abandoned her plan to go and finish and commit to herself. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately that's what the walk on the beach is, is the fact that she committed to herself and that she saw through that commitment. And now she can go back to Butte, but she won't have any kind of resentment in her heart of like, oh, I got here and I met this man and he's a nice man and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But I felt, again, I just decided to stop because of a man. Yeah. Or yeah. Oh, my, trading my- her kids for a man. No, she's not doing that. She she yeah. is still choosing her. And that's that's what's important. I That's why I like this movie. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that was Onita. What do you have going on right now, though? So I am still freelance writing, but mostly I am preparing for um, the documentary, the mini version of the full length the documentary that I wanted to shoot this year. But of course, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 2020, the year lost. Yeah. And um, so now what I'm doing is Uh, creating the mini version of it with a few ladies that I have already interviewed Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope to launch it in January cool all right well awesome well thank you again so much for being on today and talking to me about this lovely movie uh again you can find her at parted up on twitter and instagram 
be sure to follow her. She is lovely and it's a fun addition to your timeline. And when she's ready to solicit your in your donations for her documentary, open up your wallets. <laughs> please, please feel inspired. But in the meantime, yes, please give me a follow. Um, and also thank you so much for inviting me here. Um, I'm so glad that I found you through the ridiculousness of <laughs> yes in the one of, like one of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and have a chat about that movie <laughs> I cannot wait in my devotion to it <laughs> that awful movie like I oh, I love it <laughs> yeah. I love it in all its ridiculousness Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think people understand how and why I love it. And so I feel like I need to explain. But. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that the fact that that is how I was aware became aware of you. I was that was a that was a good week, weekend. Good week. It was full of ridiculousness and lustiness and I just those are my favorite times on Twitter. Yeah. When people are being ridiculous. Yeah. Being ridiculous and horny. That that's that's the best time for Twitter. We can all agree to be ridiculous and horny together. All right. Oh, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to leave a review on the Apple Podcast Store. Also, if you'd like to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, you can find it under Rom Ever After on both platforms. And if you wish to just follow me for other randomness. You can catch me at Ali is writing on both platforms as well. Until next week. <laughs>